Baptist church, really not bashing anybody else, but we believe that the Baptist church is a New Testament model. We're, we're functioning as the New Testament teaches, and that's what we're trying to do. Christ is the only head of the church. Uh, and so last week we got into the different forms of polity, which is just government. How are the churches governed? How are different denominations governed? We looked at the hierarchical or the Episcopal model. We looked at the Presbyterianism model. And so now we get down to the congregationalism, which is it's just what we are, what we believe is the, uh, the biblical model of that. So that's where we're at. I think you're, like I said, I think you're on the back page of that. So congregationalism, because it is the form of governance most readily recognized in the New Testament, Baptists believe that congregationalism is the proper polity for, for Christian churches. And this type of polity is also practiced by churches of Christ and related denominations by Congregationalists, the Quakers, uh, a lot of independent Bible churches, and many non-denominational churches practice the same thing. Now, Congregationalism simply means that the final authority in a church resides with the people, the congregation itself. You're going you're to see that kind of worked out here in just a, a couple of months. So, uh, 1st of December, by our bylaws, we do our annual uh, meeting, our annual business meeting. And over the last, I guess, since I've been here, we, we kind of revamped that, and we've called that the State of the Church Address. So we, we give a report that day. After the service, we'll dismiss for a few minutes, and then we'll come back together. And, it, it, you know, it won't even be an hour. It shouldn't be. It's usually a pretty quick time. That's when we vote on the budget, which is one of the biggest things that we do, because you have to approve what we're going to do as a church. It's your job. It's when we, when we took on missionaries, when we decide to associate with our local association. It's a church decision. It, now, the church decision is in who, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself, but when you talk about congregationalism, the power resides here with the congregation. Ultimately, it is in the decisions that we make collectively as a church you decided who the pastor was going to be, who you wanted as your pastor. You decided the elders were presented. They were vetted and presented. They were voted on. Then they vetted a pastor, someone to be a candidate for pastor. You voted on that. And, and so there's some things that are delegated in authority with that. There are delegated authorities with our worship leader, with our associate pastor, with, with different positions within the church. But ultimately, that power, it's, those are derived authority. The pastor has derived authority. The elders have derived authority. It's authority the church has voted and given to, to us. But ultimately, the authority is with you. Does that make, make sense? That's where we are as, as a congregationalism. That's the ultimate part of that. Certain responsibilities are delegated to pastors and deacons and church staff and the other individuals and committees, but none of these may exercise their authority independently of the congregation at large. So you can't come whatever your whatever the uh, uh, delegated or uh, derived authority from the congregation is. We stay within that. This is the only form of church government that can be fully supported by an honest reading of the New Testament, and it and is compatible with the autonomy of the local church as a New Testament teaching. The New Testament in New Testament congregationalism, it is the members themselves who own the church property call their own pastors, and ultimately control their own church by congregational vote. Um, everything that we will do in this coming year. Miss, Miss uh, Claire back there has put in a lot of work, and the, the, the finance committee is putting in a lot of work to get our budget ready. Two weeks before that meeting in December, we'll, 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 we'll announce that. We'll present the budget. If you want a copy of it, you want to run through it and look through it, 
you can. You'll have opportunity for two weeks to look through that. And any questions you have about it, to ask them. And then we'll come together as a church for the purpose of voting on that budget. And that kind of gives the guidelines for how we function as a church. Okay, That way, the ladies' ministry will have a budget next year, the, the women's ministry. They present what they want to do. They're going to present the budget. If we, we, we put that forth and, and then we present that, then they're not having to come to the church every three weeks and go, hey, we need $500 to do so-and-so. Can, the church, can we vote on that? And so that, that's, we don't function that way. We, we create a, a budget, an annual budget, and then that gives us the guidelines for how we function for that coming year. Every member who desires to and follows the rules agreed to by the congregation may have a voice in the affairs of the church. So that's your, your church body, your church membership in the regards of the way we're set up. That's why, you know, people ask why, why is it important if you have, you know, active members versus inactive members or former members? Well, it's very important. If somebody's not here, why should they have any say in what's going on here? Amen? Amen? So if you, you know, at some point, if you just bail out on your marriage, you just disappear, nobody can find you for six months, at some point, they're going to go, I, gone. They're going to, that's going to be dissolved because you, you've abandoned that. And we have those things to happen in church where you can't find people. So at some point, they need to be inactive so they can't come back if... If something's going to be voted on, then they could pop back in and have a vote when they haven't been. They don't. Have, they shouldn't have a say. Agree or disagree? Agree. Absolutely agree. The people that are here are the people who should have a say, and that's why it's set up that way in our bylaws, so that that you have. So that's within the rules that have been agreed upon by our church in the way that should function. Members answer to no authority outside of their own local assembly and recognize only Jesus Christ as their head. So we, we as a church, this, this church is autonomous. We don't look to anybody outside of right here for direction on what we should do. We may get counsel. We may get some advice. Glenn Rogers is an incredible resource with uh, our local association. But we don't answer to Glenn. We don't answer to the local association. We don't answer to Tommy Green and the Florida Baptist Convention. We don't answer to, I don't even know who the president is of the Southern Baptist Convention. We don't answer to them. They have no say in what we do down here. Make sense? We're autonomous. Now, we, we are Baptists. Now, if we, were to, if we were to go outside of that and we went against something that's, that's within, you know, according to the Southern Baptist doctrinal statements and we went against that, then they could come and say, hey, you know, this is not in line with our Baptist teaching, so if you're not going to change that, we're going to vote you out of being, you, you can't stay in fellowship with us as Baptists. And that's the way it should be. Same way it is with, with the church. If, if you're going to come in here and make a big stink about a, a doctrinal issue that, uh, you know, I, you know I, I believe once saved, always saved. You, you may disagree on that. I may not divide on that. But I'll tell you what I'm not going to compromise on is the virgin birth, Jesus' sinless life, that, that he was a substitution... He was a substitution for us. He gave himself as a substitution. He took our place, that he died, that he rose again from the dead. You know, there are certain things that are fundamentals to our faith. I've heard people say, I'm fundamentalist. I don't like fundamentalists. Folks, if you've got any sense about you, you understand this. If you're really a, a, a solid believer, you're a fundamentalist. You're a fundamental. You're a fiery fundamentalist. You should be. 
It means you believe in the fundamentals of the scriptures and the fundamentals of our faith. You're going to hold to those. So again, an example of that is we note that neither the Southern Baptist Convention nor any of its agencies control any church or make any decisions on any church's behalf. So that's why when Saddleback started ordaining women as pastors, the Southern Baptists couldn't just go in there and say, hey, you can't do that. They had to go in there and say, look, if you're going to do that, you're not Baptist. That's in our doctrinal stance. That's in our statements. And as a denomination, as we, as we band together, and if that's the stance you're going to take, we're going to vote you out of fellowship because we do not, that is not our stance. And so they did. Okay? That's the way that would work. Baptists have always believed that the scriptures teach a congregational form of church governance, though the details of how it is implemented may be understood and practiced in various ways by each individual congregation. Different churches handle that different ways. Um, I've been in churches where pastors, and I think that was more the model here. Before I got here, was the pastor was more, he was the leader. So what he said kind of went. That still is derived authority because that is authority that's been given to him by the church. And at some point, if they go, you know what, we don't, we don't, we don't like that, the church can come together and, and, and figure that out and to vote on that. But the church makes the decision on what authority is going to be given. And the model we have now is with our elder council. Our elders have been given authority in the leadership and guidance and direction of the church, the spiritual oversight, which is the role of an elder, pastors, elders, that's still derived. You select who we are. And if you decide one day, I don't, we don't want Pastor Conrad anymore, y'all can take a vote. And get anybody up for a vote tonight? Anybody? If somebody said, oh, I make the motion. <laughs> Brent? That was your chance, man. That was, a, that was a softball pitched up for you, man. You had an opportunity right there to get me back. Uh, the biblical basis for congregationalism is found in many places throughout the New Testament. For example, the whole multitude of the church at Jerusalem selected and approved the seven men recognized and empowered to oversee the need in Acts chapter 6. Many argue that those were the, the first deacons, though they're never called deacons. I'm not going to go into that. We've talked about that. They may have been deacons. They may not be. They may be forerunners to what deacons were. It may have been God's way God introduced that, and it became the model for what deacons are. Regardless, the church got together. The apostles said, we're having to handle this business, and it is taxing us. Our job is to study and pray. We're to be able to teach and to pray. And, and we're not able to do that as effectively because we're out here serving tables. Now, you know, one of those apostles, I, I would bet you there wasn't a, one of them had a problem serving the tables. But what it did was, because if, if you're truly a, a Christian leader, if you truly are a Christian leader, you have a servant's heart. This is no ivory tower thing in ministry. It, it, we're servants, we're servants first. Our role as elders isn't to stand back and just point and tell everybody what to do. That's, I'm a servant first. I don't mind taking the trash out. If I got to mop a floor, I'll mop a floor. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not too good to clean a toilet. I've done it many days. We have a great crew that comes in here on Thursdays now and cleans, cleans. When they're not here, you know what happens a lot of times? I clean toilets. I don't mind. I wash my hands. I can wash my hands afterwards. 
They even have gloves we can put on. So, you know, it's no big deal. But I've met people who wouldn't do that. That was beneath them. These guys said, we don't mind serving, but it's taking us from what God has called us to do, and so we need help. And so they said, congregation, you pick these men, you find them, gave some qualifications. They picked them, brought them to them. What did the elders? The church picked them, selected them. Then what the apostles did was they put their arms around and prayed for them, empowered them. As the leaders, they then empowered them to go and do because what they were doing was taking the responsibility. They were empowered. I've shared this before. Pastor Aaron has the authority, the given, derived authority to lead worship. Somebody else could come in here and go, you know what? I just feel God's leading for me to lead worship today. Sorry, you don't have the authority to do that. Pastor Aaron has the authority, and it's been given to him by this church through the authority given to the elders, and the elders giving that authority to him. That's his responsibility and the authority he has. Does that make sense? But it comes from here. Y'all voted on him. Y'all voted on me and said, we're going to entrust you to do this job. We're going to empower you to do that. So that's what happened there. Regarding church discipline, both Jesus and Paul appealed to the entire congregation, not just the elders, uh, regarding such important decisions. When you look at Matthew 18, the Lord talked about there. You take it to the whole church, church discipline. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking about dealing with that, taking those issues to the church when there's a problem within the church. Paul writes that the body of Christ does not depend on one person or group, but many people. 1 Corinthians 12, 20 says, but, uh, but, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. You know, we're one body. We have many members. There's not, there's not just one person who's the all in all here. We're, we're all, I have a different calling than you, but I'm, no, I'm not better than you. I'm not above you. I'm not over you. Again, we look at the Jerusalem Council decision in Acts 15 when the whole church played a role in the decision-making there. Um, So the church is involved in that. In congregationalism, it is the church that has the ultimate authority. Two important biblical principles are inherent in New Testament congregationalism. Number one is voluntary cooperation. Voluntary cooperation. Churches that practice congregationalism are free to choose by majority rule how and with whom they will cooperate in carrying out God's work. So we as a church, again, we have chosen by church vote to associate with our local association. Now, if we decided to not do that, if at some point for some reason, you know, and, and, and let's, say, let's just say, you know, the local association is going great. The, the, the national level, the Southern Baptists have just gone nuts. There's a couple of things you can do. You can stick it out and fight. At some point, you go, this thing's gone too far. We've sent people to vote. We've gotten outvoted. They're going the wrong direction. They're going with women pastors. They're, they're supporting homosexuals in ministry, all of these different things, whatever it might be. And we go, you know what? We're, we're going to dissociate from that. And for us, it's just, we just, as a church, we just vote. And say, so, you know what? We're not going to associate with that. It's that simple. We're an independent church. We can do that. We've decided to associate, and we make the decision to not associate. It's that, that's the power of congregationalism. So it's voluntary cooperation. The early churches in the book of Acts were independent bodies. They were independent bodies under the lordship of Christ, yet they were also interdependent. 
So they're independent in that each church was an independent entity. They were self-supporting, self-sustaining, had their own pastor. But they were interdependent in that they worked together. And that, that's kind of the, the stuff that we do. Uh, it's what we do in our local association. You know, we, we give 4% of everything that comes in general fund giving, 4% goes to our local association. Because we believe in what Glenn Rogers is doing in our local association. Starting churches, planting churches, bringing churches in, working with church health. You've experienced that. He walked hand in hand with this church when Pastor Darrell retired and, and, and left that whole year. He walked through that with the, the committee who, who was looking at um, going to elders. Walked with the church through that. Walked through the church, through the, the pastor search process, all of that. He was a, a, an invaluable uh, commodity. That's probably not the right word. Yeah, that's a great word. He was an invaluable resource. Absolutely. Can I ask a sure. So if we were independent, would we get to change our name? No. No? Okay. No. I'd love to change our name. I mentioned it. Somebody mentioned the other day, hey, what do we have to do to do that? They, I think it was you. Said, I'd love that because I, I, you know, I'm. It's just a personal thing for me. I just don't like. I just don't like First Baptist Church names because there's five billion First Baptist churches. That's just me. So I'm voicing it. So if anybody wants to get the thing going and we decide to vote on it at some point, I'd love just to be Geneva Baptist Church. That's where I'd, I'd. It'd be simple. But I mean, it ain't like it ain't like I have an agenda going. I want to get that name changed. But I, I, I'm serious. It's just, what's the big deal? But it used to be Geneva Baptist, and before that was Lake Harney Baptist. I don't know when it went, became First Baptist, but I, th- I know the date, but I have a feeling if we went back and looked at the history, it was when they became, when this church joined and became a Southern Baptist church. I bet you they changed the name to First Baptist Geneva at that point. That's just my guess. The first shall be last. The first shall be last. Well, we don't want to be last. last shall be first. So we should be last Baptist church then? <laughs> Geneva, the last Baptist church of Geneva. <laughs> I like it. Well, we could be the first and last Baptist church of Geneva. How about that one? Uh, I, I, you know, some of that's silly. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I get up here, I'm talking sometimes. That is, in my mind, I've thought that and, uh, with the name and stuff. But we are, we are, but if we, to your question, no, if we, nothing would have to change because we're already independent. Really, the only thing that ties us to the association or the, is the check that we write each month. I mean, that's, and, and we don't really, we don't really need them. The fact is, and they realize this, Tommy Green understands this at the, at the level, the state level, they need us. They need every church that is associated because what we're doing, this, this is, let, me, let me get through this and, and, and you'll understand. I'll explain this a little better. So we're independent, but we're interdependent. That is, the churches assisting, uh, assisted each other, sought advice from other churches, sent money to help other churches, and in general, were always willing to work together to further the gospel. So the church in Antioch they took an offering in the, in the time of the, the, the drought and the famine that was going on and things were hard in Jerusalem and they took money and they sent Paul and Barnabas and they sent them to Jerusalem with a gift. They went with that money. So what are they doing? Were they answering to the, mother, the mothership? 
No, it wasn't. They didn't have an association that way. They were an independent church here and an independent church here, but they were interdependent. They, they, they looked at them and said, hey, they need some help. They need some help, and they've got it really hard. Our brothers and sisters down there are suffering. We don't have it so bad. Maybe we should take a love offering up and send some money down to them, and that's what they did. And so that's the kind of, kind of things that, that, that we could do. And so, it, it, it's, so what we're doing, the associational level, everything that Glenn and the association, like right now, we're supporting them financially. Uh, we brought on a staff member at the end of last year when we merged the two associations, Halifax over on the, the coastal side over there with Daytona all the way up to um, Flagler County, all of that over there, the whole eastern half of Volusia County, all of that merged with us. And no longer are we Seminole Baptist Association. We're now the East Central Baptist Network. That's what we are. It's just a big association. We have about 75 churches. And uh, so what we're doing when we give to them and then they're using that money, uh, the, the staff person they hired, we're now on about five or six college campuses with Baptist fellowships on those campuses. Places we didn't have any presence before. And even right now, as crazy as things have been with Stetson for years and years and years, they're actually having, making some real headway in having bat, truly a, a conservative Baptist presence on that campus. Praise God. Amen? Amen. That's what our giving to that helps to do. We're, we're interdependent. We're, we're helping them. And when I have a need, if I call Glenn, Glenn's available. Glenn's come and preached many times for us. He's, he's always a great resource. Resource. Great word. This differs dramatically from churches that have, no, uh, have man-made organizational structures overseeing their choices, often from afar. So those other setups that we talked about that are man-made, they're not biblical models. It's, it, they don't have the same type of network that we have. They don't work together the way that we do. Men are making decisions so it's voluntary cooperation. Second thing is equality of, of membership. A second characteristic of New Testament congregational church government is its insistence upon the equality of all members of the local body. Though there are special callings and requirements for the men who serve as pastors and deacons, in a New Testament church there is never a stark line of separation between clergy and laity as seen in most hierarchical or Presbyterian polity models. When Peter addressed pastor elders in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 3, he warned against any temptation to abuse the authority of leadership, which is more likely to occur in hierarchical or uh, Presbyterian models due to the lack of checks and balances that congregationalism provides. Look, if I go crazy, y'all ain't got to complain to the, the, the upline, up and hope they do something about it. Y'all, if I go crazy, you sit me down and have a talk with me. If I, if I don't straighten up, you just, you just call a vote, right? And you, you, there's the bylaws spell it out, and you vote, and you remove me as pastor, and you go find another pastor, right? You have that, that's the authority, and that's the beauty of that. Peter wrote, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. In addition, Jesus gave a principle that governs congregationalism when he said, but you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. 
Um, there's a, I have a Bible that was given to me when I was ordained, and the pastor of the church, he, he didn't know. He didn't know better, but he put on it, Reverend Conrad Westbrook. I've never used that Bible because I don't like the title Reverend. There's only one to be revered, and that's Christ. I'm not a reverend. I don't. I mean, some would. I guess some in some circles they would look at that and all right, so reverend, so and so. I've seen it when I've gone to speak somewhere or preach at a funeral, and they didn't. They put it on there, and I just it it grieves me a little bit. I don't like it. I'm no. I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. I like. I like pastor. I like when someone calls me pastor, Pastor Conrad, because that's that's what I am. I'm a shepherd. I want a shepherd. I want to love you. I want to. I want to shepherd you. I don't want to be, and I'm certainly no father. We're to call no one father, right? They're, they're, we don't, we're not going to call someone a father. I'm not a father. I'm, 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 I'm your pastor, but I'm your friend. I'm your brother. You're my sister, my brother in Christ. Following up on Jesus' words, Paul wrote about the equality of the body of Christ in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, again, we, we take that verse. We, we, we just dissected that verse a little bit when we talked about women wanting to be pastors. Well, you know, we're all equal. We're all the same. That's not talking about roles. But the, the, but the ground is equal. It's even at the cross. It's level at the cross. We all come to Christ the same way. There is no Jew or Greek. We're all either you're, it, I mean, at this point, it's you're lost or saved. That's it. And it don't matter if you red, yellow, black, white, green, orange, purple. It don't matter. Are you lost or are you saved? That's the only distinctions that matter. And we all come to Christ the same way and we are all equal in Christ. But there are still different roles. These New Testament values are diminished uh, greatly in all forms of church government apart from congregationalism. And as people of the book, we Baptists seek to follow as closely as possible the scriptural pattern. We're people of the book. That's what we, we want to follow or what the scriptures say. All right, the importance of local church autonomy. Um, I'll try to speed up a little bit here. I've got about 10 minutes, see if I can get finished with this. One of the important parts of this with, uh, so there's several biblical principles that reinforce the importance of this practice of church, local church autonomy. Uh, no outside control. Once again, we re reiterate that each church is to view Christ as its head with no outside authority exercising control. So as an elder council, when we get together, we met last night on Zoom. You know what we pray for? We pray for God's leading. We don't, we don't pray, Lord, give me wisdom to do what I want to do. Give me wisdom to, 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 to uh, you know, Lord, just give me my own wisdom, my own guidance, and, and let me present what I want. And what, that's not our heart. Our heart is, Lord, what do you want? So we seek Christ. He is the head of this church. And we believe if we seek him. Let me give you an example of this, okay? I'll give you an example of this. I'm never going to get through, so let me just go ahead and <laughs> I don't know why I even try. Um, let, me, let me give you an example uh, of this, how we pray through this. When we were seeking... When we were seeking a worship leader slash associate pastor, uh, we, had, we had a part-time so, uh, worship pastor. 
And he, we, we, you know, he couldn't work, he couldn't take it on full time. I needed somebody full time in here. I need somebody who could help me with more than just leading worship on Sunday morning. So we talked about this and for months. John, tell me anywhere I'm wrong in this, you, you speak up, please. For months, we discussed this and we prayed about it. Lord, what do we need? We ran different scenarios out. We thought about different ways. And what we realized is, you know what? We need someone who can come and, and oversee our youth. We need someone who can lead our worship. And then, and then they've got a tech, the technology. You know, they've got the ability to do our, our social media, uh, the live streaming, the website, all that. Technology, anything to do with our computers, networking, all of that. So you got, you got worship, youth, and technology. That's a lot, right? So we're looking at the job description. And we prayed about this, and we were going, ah, seems like a lot. But when you, when, you know, in my head, and we talked about this, in my head I'm looking at it going, you know what, it's doable because this is here, and this is here, and this is here. They don't, it's not like they overlap. It's very doable. It's, a very, it's not going to kill somebody. They can do it if they're gifted in that way. So... We, we put it out there, and I started talking to some guys. I actually called three pastors. I think I called two pastors, and I called Glenn Rogers, and I said, I'm not talking to anybody else about it. I mean, we'd already put it out there. We'd listed it and put it out. And I, I'm talking to these guys, and two pastors and, and Glenn Rogers said, you're not going to find anybody to do that. It's too much. It's too much. You're not going to find anybody to do that. I, and here's, here was my response to all three of them. I said, I appreciate that. I appreciate you saying that. But here's what I believe. We prayed for months. We sought the Lord's wisdom on this, and this is where he led us. I absolutely believe if he guided us to that, and I believe that if that is truly the need of our church, he'll provide that. And I don't know, two months maybe, John, that it was out. We had, we had our, the, the job listing out there, wherever, and I don't even know where... where Aaron found it. Where is out there? I don't know where out there is. But here's what's crazy is uh, we pray, we seek the Lord on that. A little discouragement, folks going, I ain't going to get anybody to do that. And I'm like, well, shut up. <laughs> I didn't say that. We had, to, we had to stay true to it because we had some conversations like, all right, do we back off of something? And I said, I remember having this conversation. We're like, no, no, no. This is, the Lord showed us this. This is what through months of prayer we came to this. And we, now we're trying to push it into God, our time and not God's time. And so we got to be patient. So we, we waited. So then Aaron's resume comes in. And as I read his resume, I go, all right. Did he, did he just write a resume to match what we put out there as a job description? Because, I mean, it, it matches just perfect. It just matches perfect. And what I'd say from day one with Aaron coming here, it's been, I, I hope this would be said of me, that it's been, it's been a fit like this. Uh, when I went to, to, uh, to Greenfield, Indiana, I remember from day one, it was like putting on an old pair of shoes. They're just broke in. They feel good. They just feel right. You don't, you know, you don't get sores on your feet from trying to get them broke in or figure it. It just, it was a great fit. I felt that. I felt that way when I came here. I hope the church felt that way. But I can tell you this because from my perspective, when Aaron came, it just felt like this. 
And three and a half years later, not one regret. I hope no regrets for him or his family. There's certainly none for us. Love him. But that's... Now, if we had backed off, if we'd have compromised that point, ah, you know, we got to... I don't know about that. I don't... I don't know. No, the Lord gave us wisdom to seek that. Let's wait on him. And he provided... If we'd have changed it or we'd have pulled the resume, we might have missed him. He might have missed us. Lord worked that together. Cool? Yeah. That, isn't that, that's the cool stuff. Um, so, no outside control. All right. I'll just stop right there. Pick up right there. <laughs>